We're going right to the Word of the Lord today, and we're going to continue our study. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and I'll read it again, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. And we're talking uh, through these lessons about relationships and secrets to having healthy relationships. We call it nine secrets of healthy relationships. Tonight we're going to study about gentleness, which is, it's, it's called gentleness in the King James Version. In other versions it's called kindness. And uh, we're going to talk about that for just a little bit. Why are we talking about relationships? Why? Because everybody has them. Amen. Everybody's involved in relationships. You have to have relationship in your marriage. You have to have relationship in your faith. You have to have relationship on your job. You, you remember the lawyer in the Scripture that came to Jesus, and he said to him, he asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? You remember what the Lord told him? He summarized real Christianity is what he did when he talked about what is the great first and greatest commandment. You can read about it in Matthew 22 and verse 36. The Bible said, he came and said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. So the first commandment is your relationship with God. And then he said, and the second is like unto it. Here's what he said. This is the second commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You can tell me you don't love yourself. Now, you may not love everything about yourself, but you love yourself. And a man that says, according to the Scripture, that he hateth himself, He's a liar. What the Bible said. You don't hate yourself. You, you, you may be like me and be bald-headed and fat. But let me just tell you, you love yourself. You may not like everything you see in the mirror. You might not like everything that goes on in your body. You might not like your appearance 24-7. But you love you. And the Bible said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So that's the relationship with men, and loving God is your relationship with Him. So everybody's got relationship. Jesus was saying that nothing matters more. You can learn all about everything else in the Scripture. But I'm going to tell you something tonight, and I don't mean to take up too much time right here, but until we get that right, until we get our relationship with God and our relationship with our fellow man right, you, you can give, you can pray, you can shout, you can talk in tongues, you can do whatever you want to do. But if you don't have those right, you are, and 1 Corinthians said this, you're like sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. You really don't have a whole lot if you don't have relationship right. You can be successful 
in every other area of life and of your faith. But you will never be truly happy until you get it right between you and God and you and man. Can you say amen? So in relationships, there's a, a word for love and action. Love and action. And it's called kindness. It's not a feeling. It's something that you do. It's not, it's not a, a way to feel. It's something that you show. When you're kind, you take action. And you move you, and you show your love and your gentleness in a, an action or some actions or everyday actions that you live out. The King James Version says gentleness, I said this, but the Greek word for gentleness is spelled C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S, which is krestos, which also means goodness in action, sweetness of disposition, gentleness in dealing with others, benevolence, kindness, affability, the, the ability to act for the welfare of of those taxing your patience. In other words, it's, it's all of these things combined in that little word called gentleness because God wants us to have benevolence and kindness and gentleness and sweetness of, dis, of, of dis, disposition and goodness in action. These are the things that God creates in us by the fruit of the Spirit. It's called kindness. Everybody say kindness. You notice the word C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S that I just said was the word for gentleness. There's only one letter difference in that and the word Christos, and it is uh, the Greek word for Christ. So when you talk about Christos, you're talking about Christ, and you're talking about his actions. When you're talking about Christos, you're talking about the kindness that is in God. So when the first church, I read this today and I thought it was interesting, when the first church began 2,000 years ago uh, in the Roman Empire, they often confused Christos with Christos and they thought Christianity or Christians were just people who believed in kindness. They called Christianity the kind religion, the kind religion. What a great thing to be confused with. I'd rather be confused with being kind than being something else. So the Bible teaches us that God taking on a body of flesh came to earth to die for our sins so that he could forgive us and save us was the ultimate act of kindness. He didn't have to do that. He did that because of the love of God. He did that because he loved mankind. He gave himself in the ultimate act of kindness to the world that had, had really denied him. So let's, let's, let's talk about this in depth tonight. Another fruit that needs to come from our life. We know and we talked about love as being the basis of all the fruit. If you don't have love, you can't have peace. If you don't have love, you can't have patience. If you don't have love, you can't have kindness. If you don't have love, there is no goodness or faith. It all emanates out of love. But this, this if you have the love of God and the love for fellow man, here's what Titus said. 
in chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, I'll just read it. For we ourselves also were sometime foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not, excuse me, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know what he's saying? We were foolish and disobedient and deceived and had diverse lusts and pleasures and we lived in malice and envy and hatefulness and hating one another until the kindness of God appeared to us. And the kindness came by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There would none of us be worth nothing if we didn't have the Holy Ghost. I'm just telling you the Holy Ghost makes us what we are as far as being true Christians in the kingdom of God. Somebody shout amen. So if you want to know what kindness is, look at Jesus. You want to know what kindness is? Look to the one who created it all. He's the kindness of God. He told us to do it to others like, like he has done so to us. God never asked you to do something for anything, for anybody else that he hasn't already done for you himself. He only asked us to do what he has done. Be kind. Be gentle. Amen. He said in John 13 and 15, he said, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. He said, I've given you an example. I want you to do what I have done to you. How many of you in this building, God has been kind to you? Amen? He's been kind to me. I can't answer for you, but I know what he's done for me. So we want to talk about it. We want to talk about four ways, four ways tonight that God shows his kindness to all of us. And once you understand how kind Jesus is or his kindness to you, you'll, you'll know how to be kind to others in your relationship. Whatever Jesus has done for you, you ought to do for other people. That's what he taught. He said, I gave you an example. You should do as I have done to you. So if, if he's been kind to us, we ought to be kind to other people. Amen. Now, how, how God is kind to me. Here's one way, and this is the first blank on your sheet of paper. He understands my weakness. Would you just say that with me? He understands my weakness. See, understanding and kindness go together. The more understanding you are of any person that you know, the more understanding, the kinder you can be to them. When you understand where they came from, when you understand what they've been through, when you understand how, how, they've, how many battles they fought. So, so when you understand them, it's easier to be kind. It's not easy to be kind to all strangers because some people rub us wrong. Amen. You don't know anything about them 
and, and the more people are around you and live in your area, you might, it might be a little harder to be kind to them. But it's easy to be kind when you understand your fellow man. I mean, I, I, I know this. I, um, I won't tell you who or what or when, but I was, I was writing a, a little note to the district attorney's office, and, uh, and I said, I, I need some help, and here's why. And I gave a little background of, of the person that needed help. And I said, I don't normally do this, but this person has my heart. You know why? I understand them. I understand what they've been through. I understand why they're going through what they're going through. So, and it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a crime. It was a ticket, okay? So I was just writing something to get somebody off of a ticket. But I said, this, this person has, has had issues and, and is going through a tough time in their life. So, so when you understand people, here's what, here's what the Bible said in Hebrews 4.15. Watch this. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I've already said that tonight. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore... Come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. We, you know what God does? He knows where you are. You know why Jesus understands us? Because he became a man. He walked in flesh. He knows what it's like to get up with a headache. He knows what it's like to be tempted at all points, the Bible said. At all points, you stop and think about that. Jesus was the perfect example to us, and he never knew no sin, right? That don't mean he wasn't tempted. Come on now. I believe Jesus was a male. I know that you're hearing different stories in our society, but I believe he was a he. Don't you think he might have been tempted somewhere along the way? Don't you think there might have been a few things run through his path that, that he had to contend with? I know he was because the Bible said he was still. So Jesus, listen to me. Jesus isn't shocked when you're tempted and when you struggle or when you fall. He's not shocked. Let me tell you why he's not shocked. Because he's been where you are. Now, he doesn't think any less of you when you struggle. Because he knows we're human. If we could just get that picture. You know, we got this picture that when we're weak and when we go through situations that God gets mad at us. I, I got news for you. You can't do anything to make God love you anymore. And guess what? You can't do anything to make God love you any less. He just loves you unconditionally. Does that make sense to you tonight? You 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 sweep the the floor of the church ten days a week. You can give all the money in the bank. You can't make God love you any more than He already loves you. But guess what? You can fall and sin and stump your toes spiritually and fall flat on your face. That don't make God love you any less. He just loves you. Everybody say He just loves us. That's why he's kind to us because he perfectly understands who we are and what we are. Besides that, listen to me. It's not a sin to be tempted. If it's a sin to be tempted, Jesus was a sinner. 
because he was tempted. I just read it to you. He was tempted at all points, such as we are. But it's the, the sin comes when we give in to temptation. And sometimes we are weak, and sometimes we fail, and sometimes our temptation overcomes us. Jesus never gave in. So he's standing there understanding you and giving you power to overcome the temptation in your life. There has no no temptation come against you. The Bible said that is not common to man. God knows about it. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Aren't you glad God doesn't just say, oh, well, he failed. Get rid of him. He, he messed up. He can't be saved. Aren't you? If, if, we, if we are not saved when we mess up, even after we become children of God, if we, we, we fail and God cast us out, you say, well, yeah, but they did that on purpose. I don't even care if you did it on purpose because sometimes our mind gets messed up. Are you going to tell me that there's been sin since you got the Holy Ghost? You got the Holy Ghost 20 years ago and, and you failed God, but everything's been an accident? No, 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 no. I'm going to tell you some of it was on purpose. Because you, you, you had a mindset that was wrong, and you wasn't praying when you ought to pray, and you wasn't in the Word like you ought to be. I know, what, I know why we fail when, we tempted, when we're tempted, and you do too. So, yeah, we did some things on purpose, but God, in his mercy, he understands. That's why he has the power to help us overcome. What does this have to say? Uh, what does this have to say about how we should be kind to other people? Here's why. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Watch this. Brethren... I want you to listen to this tonight. Paul's writing to the church. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, judge him every day. Is that what he said? Oh, thank I'm glad you got it up there. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So what's the job of the church? Be kind. Be gentle. How many of you, if you ever fail, you want mercy? Come on now. If you don't raise your hand, something's wrong with you. You want mercy? I'm going to tell you how to get it. You ready? You ought to jot this down. This is going to be a great revelation. If you want mercy, you've got to show mercy. If you, the Bible said that. If you want mercy, you've got to show mercy. You can't judge everybody for their downfall and their temptations and their troubles and their trials and cast them over hell and, and, and act like they're, they're just the, the last thing in the world that God wants. Let me tell you, brethren, if, you, if, if a man be overtaken in a fault, if you're spiritual as you say you are, if you got as much God as you act like you do, well, did you hear about oh so-and-so? That ain't God. Did you hear what they done? That ain't God. You need to put the gavel down, baby. You ain't a judge. You need to go, you need to go get on the witness stand because God didn't call you to be a judge. He called you to be a witness. And, and, and the kindness of God, he said, just restore in the spirit of meekness. Con oh, I love this. That, it's up there. Watch this. Considering who? Considering who? Considering me. 
lest I'm also tempted. In other words, just remember this. What goes around comes around. Does anybody believe me tonight? You better be careful how you judge brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, or whoever. You better be careful because the Lord said you better restore them in a spirit of meekness and consider it might be you. That's really what he's saying. It might be you next time, and you're going to need mercy. You need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what that is? Everybody say kindness. That's kindness. If the church could just have the love of God and have kindness. I've seen people make mistakes that they were so ostracized. I'm telling you right now, uh, I, I've, I've always tried to be gentle with people. I really have. Now, I'm not going to tell you I've always succeeded because my righteous indignation has been stirred up many times. In other words, if you can't read through that, that's I've been mad. Not you, I know, but I'm talking to me tonight. Would y'all mind sitting in while I preach a little bit to me? But, but the facts are, I want to be gentle and not judgmental. The first way to be kind is to be gentle and not judgmental. When people are having tough times and they're dealing with problems and they're dealing with issues and they've over, been overcome by their weaknesses or they're being tempted, be gentle. Be gentle. Why? I'll tell you why. Because God is gentle. And that's the way he's dealt with me. And that's the way he's dealt with you. And he's kind to us. And he loves us. The prodigal son story is one of the greatest stories in all the Bible. Do you know what? It could have been different. The prodigal, the prodigal son's father, he could have been angry. He could have looked out and seen his boy coming down the road, walked in and slammed the door and said, tell him to get out of my, my sight. That boy has spent his inheritance. He's lived terrible. He don't deserve anything I've got. He, he could have. But the picture of the father is that he's standing there with big old tears running down his cheeks and his arms open wide. And he's saying, oh, look, here comes my boy. Kill the fatted calf. We're about to party around here. He showed some kindness. Hallelujah. So if God's kind to, to us, then we have to be kind to people. He understands us. Here's the next blank on your paper. He tells me the truth. This is the way God is kind to us. He tells me. He understands me, but he also tells me the truth. The truth. Jesus loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Now think about that. He loved us when we were unlovable, but he loves us too much to let us go on in our sin. So, so he tells you the truth. How many of you know that sometimes the truth hurts? <laughs> Is that right? Has anybody ever told you the truth and it just stung you real good? I won't tell you who, but somebody called me this week and they said, ooh, you stung me, Pastor, but thank you. Now, if I stung you, that's a good thing because the truth will set you free. The Bible said you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
John 8, 32 is that, is that scripture. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's what it literally says. So we don't like to hear about truth about ourselves. One fellow wrote a book that's, that, was called, that said this. It was called this. The truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. That's pretty good stuff right there. It'll set you free, but it'll make you uneasy. It'll make you dislike yourself. You see, we, we would prefer to hear the good stuff about us, ourselves, but Jesus is too kind for that. He levels with us. He tells us the truth about how we think, how we act, where we go, who we associate with, how we talk, how we dress, how we live. And so he's truthful. The Bible never glosses over the weaknesses of the heroes of the Scripture. Go, go study the Bible. The Lord never glossed it over. When Moses, when Moses sinned, God told about it. When Abraham done wrong, God told about it. Amen. When David done wrong, the man after God's own heart, God told about it. He don't gloss it over. He's just very truthful. And sometimes the kindest thing that can happen to us is for somebody to tell us truth. Your best friend is the friend that will tell you the truth. Oh, come on now. Your best friend is not the one that will tell you what you want to hear. You know what the Bible said about that kind of friend? Iron sharpeneth iron. Somebody that will tell you when you got corn on the side of your mouth. You know, when you got a booger in your nose. Did I just say that? But your best friend's going to tell you the truth. Do I look good in this? No. Oh, okay. We're getting down to where it is tonight. We all need somebody to level with us. You want me to tell you something else? Jesus tells the truth in kindness. He wants you to tell other people the truth in kindness. Always, You can say whatever you want to if you say it kindly. The spirit of how you say it. The attitude in which you say it. And, and you don't want to say things just to cut people. And, and I, we can't do that. You know that. But when we are being truthful and honest with one another in kindness, and God is truthful and honest with us, one survey in California discovered that the number one thing people want in a friend is honesty. The number one thing they want is just an honest friend. Just somebody to say, you know what, brother? You probably shouldn't do that. You need somebody like that. Here's what Ephesians said. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he said this in 4.15. But speaking the truth in love, let me say it again, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. My dad taught me this long ago. You can preach what you need to preach, but you got to preach it in love. You got to preach it because you care. You got to preach it because you love people. I don't ever recall walking to this pulpit and preaching something to try to hurt anybody. And sometimes I've preached some things, yea, even Sunday morning, that might have been a little bit strong. But let me tell you, let me tell you, 
John Maxwell was riding with one of our preachers one day. John Maxwell was one of the greatest leadership trainers there's ever been and got material everywhere, but he was riding with one of our preachers one day, and they said, well, what do you think about the Pentecostal church? He said, I think they're going to make it if they don't run past it. A true story. Well, I'd rather go too far than not go far enough. And when I preach the way I did here Sunday and the way I have preached for all of my years, I don't preach to hurt anybody. And the greatest friend you will have in this church is a pastor that will tell you the truth because the truth will make you free. Amen. Amen. Proverbs said it this way, 24 and 26, every man shall kiss his lips that giveth a right answer. Wow. A real friend tells you when you're making a mistake. A real friend will tell you when you got broccoli in your teeth. A real friend will nudge you when you're on the wrong path. A real friend is not going to just tell you everything you need or you want to hear. He's going to tell you what you need to hear. But do it with kindness. Everybody said amen. Here's another blank on your paper. He forgives my sin. He understands me. He tells me the truth. But guess what else? He forgives my sin. God is forgiving and gracious, and, and he's kind about doing it. Our concept of God is sometimes so clouded. People, people get a picture of God sitting on a big throne with a long stick and waiting for us to make mistakes. That's, that's not God. We need to get rid of that picture. I, I read a story of, uh, of a man who was going out to his cabin by the lake, and he was driving, and he ran out of gas, and he got out of his car to push it off the road. And as he got out, another car came along from behind him and hit his car and pushed it off of an embankment, and, uh, and, and then they drove off. And he decided, well, I'll just walk to my cabin. But it started pouring rain. And he got totally drenched and he got cold. And then just as he rounded the last curve, he looked and his cabin was on fire because the lightning had struck it and it had burned down. He went over and, and the story said started beating his head against a tree saying, why me, God? Why me, God? And the story said the heavens opened up, the clouds parted, and a voice said, because some people just ticked me off. No, that's just a story because here's the truth of the matter. That's not what God's like. When you hurt, he hurts. When you fail, he has mercy. When he sees you step out of line, he says, I got to reach them. Come on now, we got to get the picture of God. God's not standing up here saying, because some people tick me off. No, no, no. God's saying, I love you in spite of. I'm going to help you no matter what. I'm going to be here for you no matter where you've been or what you've done or what, what's going on in your life. I, I, I want to pull you back to safety. I want to get you back in the kingdom. I want to pull you back in the fold. Is anybody with me on this, on this Wednesday night? You see, one thing the Bible teaches is that God never carries a grudge. Could you think of that? How many of you have ever had a grudge? I'm going to hold my hand up because I don't want to lie. Hold your hand up because you, if, you, if you tell me that you've never had a grudge, I, I seriously doubt your Christianity. 
I've had them. And I've had to pray over them. And I've had to get over them. But let me tell you about Jesus. He never carries a grudge. He don't show up next Sunday and say, you know what? I'm mad because two years ago, two years ago. Now, that's what humans do. That's what we do. But, but God, he doesn't do that. You know what he does? When he forgives, guess what he does? He forgets. Wipes it out. God, he just takes it off the record. The Bible said he cast it into the sea, and he remembers it no more. Your sin's gone. You bring it up, but God ain't going to bring it up. If you said, I'm sorry, and you meant it, and, and he forgave you, guess what? He don't hold a grudge. He's not bringing it back on you. He, he's not a God of shame. He's a God of forgiveness. Why? Because do I deserve it? No. It's called the grace of God. It's called the unmerited favor of God. The unmerited favor of God. When you don't do anything to deserve it, God is just kind to you and forgives your sin and loves you in spite of. One, one, one pastor said he had a later lady coming to him every single week, and he'd, she'd say, Pastor, God convicted me of this sin this week. Every week it was kind of like it's the sin of the week, you know. And the pastor looked at her one Sunday and he said, does God ever say anything nice to you? Because he does say nice things. But her mentality of God is that he's just looking and watching and waiting so he can forgive me of my sin and all the things. Isaiah said it this way in 54 and 8. In a little wrath I hide my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting, man, this is a powerful scripture. In a little wrath, God said, I hide my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. I, with everlasting kindness. I may hide my face in a little wrath because you may make me angry, but I'm not holding a grudge, and I'm not going to remember it. When you come to ask for forgiveness, it's gone. And with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. That's powerful scripture right there. What God, what does God's forgiveness have to do with the way I'm supposed to treat other people? you got to be like him. And you got to forgive. And you, the Ephesians 4.32 said, Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted, not hardhearted. Forgiving one another, not holding grudges. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Be tenderhearted toward one another. Just like the Lord has done it for you. Well, y'all are quiet, but it's true. So if you have a tough time being forgiven, it's probably because you haven't felt forgiven. Because when you feel forgiveness, you'll start forgiving. You see, we I told you a couple of Wednesday nights ago, hurt people hurt people, right? Remember that? Hurt people. Well, let me give you another one. Graced people are gracious people. Graced people are gracious people. In other words, when you get grace, you understand how good it really is. And so it's not hard for you. If, because I've got forgiveness, it's easier for me, David, to forgive you. 
It's easier for me, Freddie, to forgive you because I've got forgiveness and I know what God done for me. You see, that's called kindness. Here's something else that kindness, the way God is kind to me. The next blank on your sheet of paper there. He affirms my worth. He affirms my worth. You know, deep inside of every one of us, there's a deep desire to feel worthwhile. We all want to be wanted. We all want to feel significant. I'd like to know that at my funeral, somebody would miss me. Amen? Don't act like that. You want to feel important, and I want to feel important. It's, it's, not, it's a human element of us. We want to feel that we matter. We want a, we want a feeling of self-worth. You, you, we spend much of our life being motivated to do things that, that we hope will answer the question, does my life really matter? We try to leave our mark in our life. I, I, was, I was riding down the road the other day just thinking of all the people that, that I've preached to, that I've preached funerals, that I've preached weddings, that I've dedicated their babies, that I've been to hospital rooms, that I've set, I've, I've, I've stood how many Sundays are in 52 years? There's been very few of them that I hadn't been in a pulpit in 52 years. So, so how many people have I, have I tried to affect in my life? And, and you know, I, I, want, I want it to be said that he affected my life, that I mattered to somebody. You, you know who Madonna is? Not anybody that we want to worship for sure. Okay. Probably one of the most vulgar movie stars and singers that there's ever been. All kind of bad stuff. But in a magazine interview, Madonna said this, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been devoted to conquering some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. So I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My, excuse me, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being inadequate and mediocre. It is always pushing me and pushing me because even though I've become somebody I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Well, guess what, Madonna? You have set yourself up for ultimate frustration because every star's popularity will eventually fade. And what you're doing and the reason you pull the things that you pull through the years in the media and on the screen and through the songs and on the stage is because of exactly what she's saying. She's constantly trying to affirm herself and make sure that she's somebody in somebody else's eyes. The truth is that knowing nothing else that knowing nothing else matters until you have established your relationship with Jesus Christ and begin to discover how much you matter to him and how much you matter to his kingdom. That's where self-worth is at. It's not in what you attain. It's not how much money you have in the bank. It's not how popular you are. It's not what some, some great... Uh, great thing that you that is written about you it's it's self-worth 
based on what am I to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else will ever satisfy humanity or affirm you like the grace of God in your life and the Holy Ghost in your life. Amen. Psalm said it this way in 139. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. In other words, you're what matters most. The things of life won't affirm you. God himself can affirm you. And you will know your worth when you fall in love with him and the kindness of God has reached your inner man. Isaiah said it this way in 49, 16, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands, and thy walls are continually before me. He will affirm you. Let me tell you what the Bible said. He can pick you up and set you up, or he can pick you up and put you down. It is God that exalteth, and he also, he can exalt you, or he can make you abased. You read that in the Scripture? So it's not what men say about you. He can affirm your worth through his kindness. Psychologists say that self-worth, that's the next blank on your paper, by the way. Psychologists say that self-worth is based on what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. Now think about that. So if that's true, we got to be sure that we're pleasing Jesus more than anybody else. Our self-worth is based on what the most important person in our life thinks about us. If you base your self-worth on what people think, then you're going to collapse every time you're criticized, rejected, ignored. You're going to have a breakdown. But if you place it on what Jesus thinks about you, let me tell you something. Your self-worth on the fact that God made you, God loves you, God thinks about you, God wants you to live for him and unconditionally forgives you, then it doesn't matter what anybody says or anybody does. Your self-worth will be, I'm a child of the king. I belong to him. I'm going to be okay because he's been kind to me and he loves me. Hallelujah. So we're not trying to let the world Make us feel the self-worth of the world because they'll frown on you. You've got to meet their standards. I'm not here to meet their standards. I'm here to meet God's standards. You with me today? This is the way God is kind to us. He affirms us. He said, that's my child. Oh, you say, well, you don't have anything. You don't have to have anything to be a child of God. You, you don't have a big name. You don't have to have a big name to be a child of God. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to be filled with his spirit. You become a part of his kingdom. And guess what? You're going to become a king and a priest. 
because that's the kingdom of God. He's going to affirm the church, not the world. The world never affirms the church, but we can be affirmed by the power of God and the kindness of God in our life. When Jesus Christ becomes the most important person in my life, my self-worth is going to soar, and as a result, you affirm the worth of other people. I'm hurrying to a close. Romans 15, 7 said it this way. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Receive ye one another. Affirm one another, if I could put it that way. Hebrews said it this in 10, 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love, unto love and good works. Let us consider one another. We've got to receive one another. We've got to consider one another. If you have trouble affirming the worth of others, it's because you haven't felt the forgiving power of God, and God hasn't affirmed you. Because when you have been affirmed by God, then you can affirm in your relationship toward other people. You need the Holy Ghost. I said you need the Holy Ghost to be kind. The Holy Ghost has never made anybody unkind. The Holy Ghost has never made anybody mean. The Holy Ghost has always made us Kind, gentleness. Everybody say gentleness. Say kindness. Kind to who? Kind to everybody. Kind to the man on the street. Kind to the man on the job. Kind to your household. Amen? So next time your wife or your husband starts being unkind, say, whoop, 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 you need the Holy Ghost. Because Holy Ghost brings kindness. Holy Ghost brings gentleness. And this is God's way. By the way, the kindness of God is just getting started because it's good now. We, we know God's kind now, but guess what? It's going to be better in the sweet by and by. In the eternity that we're going to, the kindness of God is going to be the greatest thing you can imagine. Ephesians 2 and 7 said like this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Let me say it again. In the ages to come, not right now. Everybody say, not right now. In the ages to come, Paul said, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So it's going to get better. And it's going to be better because of the kindness of God. The fruit of the Spirit. Our relationships toward one another. I submit to you on this night that you will never have a good relationship with anybody if you are unkind. Amen? I'm just, that, that's the bottom line. You will never have a relationship not good with your husband, not good with your wife, not good with your children. i tell you what you do. You be unkind to your kids, they ain't going to hang around. Well, they're little demons. Well, you know what? You be an angel. Love them anyway. Be kind anyway. What about the man on the job that's giving you such a hard time? Well, he just, he just, you know what, it's hard for me to be kind to people like that. I know that, but Jesus was. Everything we've talked about, love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, everything we've talked about, Jesus proved to us it could be done in adversity. 
and it could be done in the earth, and it could be done when people come at you. It could be done no matter what they say to you or say about you. I'm just telling you, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't it amazing that there's nothing in there about hate, fight, gossip, judge? The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness. Help us, Jesus, to have the fruit. If we're going to be called, if we're going to be called the children of God, we got to portray the fruit. we got to show the fruit. Every man's producing. Stand with me right now. Everybody say, every man's producing some kind of fruit. You want it to be bad or you want it to be good? It's up to you. It's up to you. If you want it to be bad, it will be bad. If you want to just be a mean old goat and nobody wants to stay around you, then you're not showing much Holy Ghost. But if people love you because you're kind and you love and you have the fruit, projecting out of your life and emitting the things that you are inside to the world outside. I'm submitting to you tonight that kindness is one of them. Gentleness. We've got to be gentle with one another.